We're in Proverbs chapter 3 today, choosing the right path. You know, if my son was graduating or if my daughter was graduating this year, this would be one of the principal passages I would want them to understand. This would be one of the passages that I want them to get. Because choosing right decisions defines whether we are fools or whether we are wise or something in between. Your life is defined by the choices that you make. Psychologists tell us we make over 2,000 choices every single day. And each one of those choices add up to who we are. They define who we are in terms of what becomes of us. And as far as impact, we serve a sovereign God who has created our destiny, so to speak. But as we will see in this text, the word path is used over and over again. Matter of fact, that word path or road is used over 700 times in the, in the Bible. So often we want to define our future and how things are going to happen by, we think, choosing the right door, so to speak. Kind of like, let's make a deal. You remember that where you kind of try to guess which door has the big prize in it? And often we approach life that way. We approach God. Of course, Jesus is the door to salvation. But now we are given the opportunity to live out our lives in a way that will bring glory to God or, in fact, will appear very foolish. And so as we consider this and as we look at this passage here in just a moment, I want you to think about that. Am I making wise decisions? And at the end of this message, I hope at least you will have the tools to be able to biblical understanding, to know how to make wise, God-honoring decisions, choosing the right path. You know, a lot of times people make decisions that aren't so smart, and there's some very public ones, unfortunately. And the more famous you are and the bigger your mistake, the more people know. The first one uh, that I want to give you an example of is the Titanic. Remember the Titanic? It was the greatest ship ever built at that time. Matter of fact, it was the largest man-moving object in all the world at that time when it was created. It was believed it couldn't sink. And matter of fact, it was so, uh, they believed so strongly in the Titanic that they had not even done a test run. So they didn't put enough lifeboats on it, which in the end would prove to be fatal uh, to over 1,500 of the um, 2,300 passengers on board the Titanic. The Titanic is a great ship, and it was well heralded, but there was something that could take it down, and that was an iceberg. And because of the lack of training, so to speak, because of their overconfidence, and ultimately uh, because they just hadn't tested it, they just hadn't properly prepared, most of the passengers died that night. Another colossal era, uh, maybe on a very much lighter term, you ever heard the, ter- the a group or the organization Decca Records? You know who they are? Okay. They passed on a, on a, on a known commodity at that time, but the owner of Decca Records said, look, these guys, I'm telling you, first of all, four-piece bands are going out, and this sound, I've heard it before, it's never going to work. That was the Beatles. They declined, and they denied. The Beatles went, and their manager said, look, we really want to sign with you guys. They go, we think we'll take a pass. We think you guys are going nowhere. J.K. Rowling, uh, the, the author, the famous author of, uh, of the Harry Potter series, went to 12 different publishers, and they all said, we'll take a pass. Ross Perot, very wise man, has had a a very successful career financially, but he didn't always get it right. Uh, Matter of fact, he passed on Microsoft. Uh, 
He could have bought Microsoft for $40 million, which was not a whole lot for him. Uh, But he decided, you know what, there's already enough companies out there like this. I really don't have any interest. You know what Microsoft is worth today? $297 billion. So just because you're rich and you've had success before doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. How about this one, Western Union? Western Union's approached and they said, look, for $100,000, we want to sell you the rights to the telephone. But the owner of Western Union said, look, that's a nice novelty, but the truth of it is, who's going to buy those things? And the uh, question is now, how many of you have ever used Western Union in your life? Last but not least, NASA, the Spaceship Challenger. I vividly remember this in school when this happened. Uh, the Spaceship Challenger had the seven, uh, the seven people who were on board and had entrusted their life to them, and we're watching it on TV. And after about 90 seconds, it explodes. And they go back and they find out it's because of the O-rings. But what you don't hear is the truth be told. Matter of fact, this is the guy, uh, Alan J. McDonald. He's one of the engineers that said, we cannot launch. We cannot launch because it's too cold and the O-rings are too brittle. And I don't think they'll make it out of the launch pad. There were several engineers that said, this is a bad idea. We've had problems here. But uh, the executive decided, you know, I think we've got it. And those are doomsday sayers, and so they went ahead, and seven people lost their life because they didn't want to see the facts. They didn't want to admit to the evidence and the cost. As we look at the Proverbs, Proverbs are short sayings that express general truths about practical, godly living. They are sayings basically that list out the probable uh, outcome if you do this, if you proceed. It's, It's almost like uh, when you're going around a road, you're in a neighborhood, and you see a sign that says, slow children at play. Now, you may drive through there at 100 miles an hour and not kill a child or hit, some, hit a child. But if you keep doing that, you're going to be in trouble. And this is good advice. This is great advice. Slow down. There's a sharp curve coming. You don't have to do that, and you might make it. That's what Proverbs are. This, as you look at these, they're not guarantees, but they're saying, this is the way life works. And if you continue to go down this path, you're going to be in trouble. As a matter of fact, it may happen the very first time. But if you will obey my teachings, that's what Solomon is telling his son, probably his sons. And this is a message that's passed down over and over again. I want us to talk about how do we make wise decisions. When I use the word wise and wisdom, what I'm meaning here is competence in regards to the reality of life. Confidence in regards to the reality of life. Let's look at our teaching here, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1 of, of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, Solomon speaking here to his sons, maybe even to a group of leaders, this message would be given over and over again. Do not forget my teachings. Hear my teachings. Hear the Proverbs. Here is the wisdom. Here are the lessons. I want you to grasp this. And let your heart keep my commandments, which would be one and same as of the great Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments of the law. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, does this guarantee if you keep the commandments that you're going to have a long life? No. First of all, he's talking about quality of life. But let me me tell you this. God's laws are not arbitrary. In other words, he didn't just say, you know, there's just some things I just don't want people to do. He did every, every law that we have was because God created us and he created the society, the world, the environment that we're in. And he said, because I know how things were created, because I know how you're created and how you're designed to be, if you will keep these laws, it will protect you. It will help you. It will guard your heart and your mind and your society. 
And so they're not arbitrary. They're for our own good. And he says, length of days and years of life will be passed in peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. This, these are two of the words that are consistently used to describe God. Matter of fact, there's a Hebrew word called keseth. Keseth. And it's the picture of covenant love. A love that you commit to for God and God commits to you. It's a love that we should have when we, when we marry with our spouse, if, if at all possible. But this love, uh, from a divine perspective, it, it's steadfast. It's continual. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new for every morning. They are new for every day. And he said, if you will really believe that I am committed to you, that I've covenanted you, that I will be faithful, if you will do what I ask, if you will follow my law and my teachings, if you will do this, uh, the Bible tells us right here, God, as Solomon is speaking, let not your faithfulness and let not your steadfast love forsake you bind them around your neck you know a a lot of the jews now and even then would wear what we call phylacteries and they would put certain scriptures in there so they they would remember the law and he's saying do this he's not saying you literally have to do it he said but do whatever it takes to have this law to have this wisdom in your life pound it in there make it daily let not love and ste- excuse me. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Then write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, how do we write on the tablets of our heart today? Memorize. As you memorize Scripture, as you meditate Scripture, as you speak Scripture, as we sing Scripture principles, it resonates within our hearts. And so that's one of the reasons we have a time of worship, and I hope you participate, even if you're not a great singer, if you don't sing out loud, just by speaking those words. A lot of the songs that we did today, especially the third one, I mean, it's just chock full with good doctrine and with the teachings of Christ. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and of man. Solomon had already experienced this. Because he was wise, people were coming from all over. They were seeking him. We always want to hear from people who are wise. We seek people who are wise. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us to seek people who are wise. In all your dealings, excuse me, trust in the Lord. And by the way, here are two verses. I think um, Proverbs 1-2 defines what the Proverbs are, but I think this is the most important, uh, these are the most important passage in the book of Proverbs right here, and it's this, trust in the Lord with all of your, with all of your heart, trust, in other words, what am I doing? I am committing, it's a picture of the gospel even here, I am trusting God, I believe that he created me, I believe that he knows me, and God, I, I want to know you, and so I am giving you my trust. I am giving you my commitment, my loving kindness. I am making a covenant with you for you to be my God and for me to be your child. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with your heart, with what you feel, with what you do. As you look at your life, your heart is what is important to you. Trust him with everything that's important in your life. And do not lean on your own understanding. Do not put your faith in your own self-deception. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful. Our hearts want what our hearts want. Remember Woody Allen saying this um, when he ended up uh, marrying basically his stepdaughter. And they asked him about it, how do you justify this? He goes, the heart wants what the heart wants. 
can I tell you this? We live in a culture today that that's the highest defining moral value for many people. It's what I want. I think it'll make me happy. It's what I want. And if that's your highest moral value, then you can't condemn Woody Allen, can you? You can think, oh, that's, but I don't mean that. But if your highest moral principle is whatever I want, I ought to be able to have it, then that's where it leads. But God created us in a manner that what he wants us to have is him and for us to glorify him. And in the Proverbs, he's saying, don't lean on your own understanding. Know your heart. Recognize your heart. Recognize that you're selfish and you're sinful and you're going to want what you want. We must know God and we must know ourselves. We must know our own heart. Um, As I consider this and I was thinking about this, about knowing my, my own heart and knowing where I am, there's two marketing terms that always come up when I think about this, and if those of you in marketing know what you've heard these terms before or you're familiar with them, but the first one is loss aversion. We're always averse to doing something that we think we might lose on. We might lose financially or we might lose esteem. And, and it, we see it in practical things, like little things. For example, loss aversion, you know, I, I, buy, I buy some new shoes and I'm all excited about it. But then I get home they don't really fit and I forget to take them back. But I don't want to give them away. I just kind of set them there because I have loss aversion. If I give them away, it means I lost my money and I lost my time. And, and I'm just going to hang on to it even though I'm not going to wear them. And some of you could give a testimony about that, okay? Because we don't want to admit that was wrong. And then that's a loss. But isn't it interesting that Jesus quoted this verse more than any other verse he's quoted? He said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. Christ is going to continue to put you in situations where you have to trust him and where you might lose monetarily. Now, let me say this. I'm going to get into this later in the sermon. That doesn't mean just because you want something, it's God. You know, I really, people do this to me all the time, and now some of you won't probably because I'm saying this. You know, I really, really, really want this new car, and I've really been praying about it, and I really, really, really want this new car, and I'm praying, I'm asking God to give me a peace. Well, that goes with our next point, okay? It's called confirmation bias. If there's something that you really, really, really want and you can't afford or you know you probably shouldn't have and you just keep praying about it, guess what? Eventually, you'll get a little peace about it. You know why? Because you're deciding, God, this is what I want. I'm going to pray till you tell me yes. Like he's a bad parent. If we'll just wear him down, you know, (laughs) they'll buy me a Corvette. If I just keep going, mom, I need a Corvette. Mom, I need a Corvette. And that's the way we approach God. And so we, we do this confirmation bias. And what does that mean? That means we already know what we want and how we want things to go. And so we start feeding everything into that grid until it makes us feel like we're okay. Until we get peaceful and we get okay. And we pull out our credit card, we put ourselves in debt, and then we blame it on God. And God had nothing to do with it. Lean not on your own understanding your own self-centeredness. In all ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means to know. It means to intimately know someone, to be so connected with him that everything runs through that grid. Everything runs through that person. Acknowledge is not recognition. It's relationship. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 
uh, in the Hebrew, literally, he will make your paths manageable. Now, I mentioned this while ago about paths. The Bible doesn't uh, use the word door except for Christ. It uses this term, particularly in the Old Testament, our path, uh, basically our road. And it's different than a door. You know, a door, you open it up and you're there. But a path is a lot longer. And on that path, you have decisions whether to stay on the path, whether to take a left, whether to take a right. And the truth be told, uh, it it reminds me of when I was a kid uh, growing up in Louisiana. And we had a pretty extensive amount of woods behind where we lived. And uh, I remember my dad taking me out here, and I would ride horses sometimes. Sometimes I would just I would walk. And I remember him taking me out one time when I was young. I was probably 9 or 10 years old. And he said, okay, son, I, knew, I know you've walked this path a lot with me. We've gone out in the woods. We've gone hunting. We've you know, chased cows, whatever it is we had to do. And he said, now, if you're on this path right here, he said, here's a couple things to remember. He said, to the north is a highway, to the south is a highway. It's about two or three miles one way, two or three miles. If, he said, if you ever get lost, he said, if you find yourself the highway, you're either north or south. He goes, I don't ever want you to get on the highway, particularly with a horse. You never get on the highway, all right? Don't ever do that. If you see where you are and then come back, you'll have, a, you'll have an estimation. You'll probably recognize it, okay? Now, to the west <clears throat> is not our property. And so if you get lost or if you have trouble, chances are it's probably going to be later in the day. You're probably not going to get, you're probably not get up early one morning and go out and get lost. So he said probably if it's, you know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock on, if, you, if it's starting to get dark, he said you always want to head west. And that'll be where the sun is setting. He said, now where you're on these paths, you're going to have to look and pay attention. You're going to have to get out of the trees sometimes and look up at the clearing. But if you'll follow these paths to the right and you'll follow these paths to the west, it'll bring you home. On the contrary, to the east... The swamps get really bad out there. I grew up in Louisiana, again, in case you're wondering. The swamps get really, really bad out there. He goes, a lot of moccasins nest out there. You don't want to go east. You want to go west. So I would often take off on my horse, and I'd be headed down that path, and a lot of times I'd be tempted to go east. And sometimes I would. And one time in particular, I got lost. And um, I got so scared, I ended up on the highway, got the worst spanking I've ever had, Okay. <laughs> But here's the deal. That path was laid out for me. And if you'll allow me to use this analogy, I think that's what you got. God gives us the path and he puts us on it. But it's up to us how fast we're going to move down that path. If we're going to stay on that path, if we're going to veer, if we're going to walk, if we're going to loaf, if we're going to run, how are you going to go down the path that God has set before you? And I don't believe God forces you at a, to stay at a certain speed or a certain place. Sometimes we get off the path, don't we? Now, we serve a sovereign God who can redeem and, and can take all things and use them for his glory. But I think that's the reason that Solomon is talking about the path, choosing the right path here. He continues here, and we look at the passage, and he says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't trust your own ego. Fear the Lord. Revere the Lord. Give reverence to God. Recognize, acknowledge him, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then he says something odd in this passage. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Now, why would he say that right there? We've talked about trusting him, which is essential for us to know him as Savior. We said don't lean on our understanding. Don't trust our hearts. We recognize we can't make it on our own. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the capacity to save ourselves. And we must simply commit our lives to Christ. And then he says here, as we go through this passage, he says, and now, honor the Lord 
with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Why do you think he says that? I think because this is an example. Number one, this is an example of how we trust God. It's a very tangible way. Number two, because he knows this is going to be the context of a lot of our prayers and conversations and thoughts. How do we deal with the stewardship, with the opportunity that God's given us in regards to money and resources and influence? What are we going to do with it? And we show our trust in God. We acknowledge him when we give and when we trust him. And we seek to use what he's given us in a God-honoring fashion. So first, we must know God. Second, we must know ourselves. And thirdly, we must know this. We must know the godly process of decision-making. Here's how most people make their decisions. And uh, there are at least four ways that decisions are, are made First one is on impulse. A lot of times people make decisions based on impulse. Uh, they see something, they want it, they buy it. You know, I was, I was praying about this and I saw it, so I got it. And so I just kind of reach out and grab. I make decisions on impu- when I'm impulsive, okay? Number two, avoidance. A lot of times people make decisions, you know what? This stressed me out, so I'm not going to make a decision. So I'm going to leave. Can I tell you this? When you're doing that, you're making a decision, by the way. Somebody else is making it for you or life's making it for you. The third way is compliance. Well, it seems like this is what everybody wants me to do. I watch TV, and it seems like this is the way they do. This is what they do. They buy a new car when they get a raise. They buy a new house when they get a raise. And so we just kind of comply with the culture and with those around us. But fourthly, the way the Bible instructs us to make decisions is by priority. Prioritizing. What's important to you? This is how we should always make decisions. What's most important to you? You might say, my faith is, my relationship with Christ. Well, if it is, then when you make decisions, do you first think, will this honor God? Or do you first think, boy, this will make me happy. Okay? And if, if, if it'll make you happy, then impulsively, you will just reach out and grab it, if that's your highest value. Okay? But if I prioritize, I have to ask myself that question. Will this bring glory to God? Will this help Christ? Will this improve my faith? Or will it hinder my faith? What are your priorities as you make decisions? So uh, I love this quote by um, Kevin DeYoung. He said, God is not a magic eight ball we shake up and peer into whenever we have a decision to make. We know God has a plan for our life. That's wonderful. The problem is we think he's going to tell us that wonderful plan before it unfolds. We feel like we can know, we need to know what God wants every step of the way. But such preoccupation with finding God's will as well-intentioned as, they may, as our desires may be is more folly than freedom. So often we, we treat God like our children treat us sometime. God, if I do this, then tell me all the steps and tell me how this will come out, and that's what I need to know. God, before I do that, I need to see the results. Just like our children, go clean up your room. Well, then what do I get? I need you to clean the, clean the dishes. Well, after I do that, what, what, what are you going to give me? And we treat God the same way. We want to see all those steps. We want to see, tell us how I'm going to benefit God. And tell me, am I going to get a treat right now if I start this process? Do you promise me that we'll go to Six Flags after? Truth be told, there's a process. There's a wisdom process that we need to go through, and this is how it works. First of all, when I'm trying to make a decision, when I want to properly acknowledge God and I enter into this wisdom process, first of all, 
I want to pray, and I want Scripture to be a part of my life. I want to be reading through the Proverbs. I want to be reading through the Gospels to let it filtrate my mind, not so that I can do this. You know, sometimes people play Bible roulette, and this is just a lazy way to do it. This is being impulsive. You know, I'm praying about something. Lord, should I date this person? Should I buy this house? Lord, what should I do? Uh, and they, I'm, I'm going to open up my Bible. And so they open it up, and it goes, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> Judas hanged himself? Oh, well, maybe I was. Let's try that again. Go ye, therefore, and do likewise. Whatever you do, do quickly. <laughs> That's not how the Bible was ever meant to be done, okay, used. That's using it as a magic book, so to speak. This is a letter describing God to you and how he works and what he wants you to do. Not so much, hey, I'm going to get this easy answer for my question. First is knowing God, not that we search the scripture all of a sudden when we have a problem, all of a sudden when we have a need, but we let it become a part of our heart and our lives. And then we can hear the heart of God as he resonates and speaks through scripture. Number two, priority. What is my priority? First one, prayer and scripture have to be a part of my life. This is a godly wisdom process. Number two, what is my priority here? Am I going to allow my values and my faith to inform my decision and to be impacted. So number one, have I prayed? Number two, do I, am I going to make sure this fits within what I prioritize in life? Number three, what are the facts? Hey, I, I love that some people have a lot of faith, but and, uh, they just say, I just want to trust God. I know this sounds stupid. I just want to trust God. Let me just give you this one little test. When you're doing that and it's something for you, in other words, it's a house, it's a car, it's about money, you really need to look at the facts, okay? Don't get caught up in that. And it's one thing if God's call, calling you to, you know, to go overseas and serve. It's one thing if God's calling you to do something where you give everything up and you go. I'm all for that. You can know your heart is right. But often what we're trying to do is we're trying to fulfill a fleshly need or desire in our heart and we don't want to work. We don't want to go through the process. We just want it. And so we ignore all the facts. I mean, I have this happen all the time. People, you know, praying about which house I should have. I remember one time a lady was saying, I'm just really praying. Would you pray for me? We can't decide whether we want to make the red one or the blue one. It's the same house, but they have a red one and they have a blue one. And I so badly want to go, I really don't think God cares what color your house is. I really don't. I don't think he gives a rip what color your house is. Can you afford that house? That's the real question. Can you afford that house? And if you can't, then God doesn't want you to get it. I'll just make it real simple for you. You can stop praying right now. If he's going to put you in debt and you can't make the payments or you're just going to struggle, don't do it. It's real simple. Okay? What are the facts? How much money do you have coming in? How much does it cost? Don't do it if you don't have enough coming in to pay this. We want to spiritualize it. I'll be real spiritual for you. God doesn't want you to be stupid. All right? Never ask you to be stupid. I'll make it real spiritual for you. All right? What are the facts? If you're dating someone, do they share you va- your values? I don't care how attractive. They're sweet. They're very attractive. Don't be stupid. What are their values? Go back. Have you prayed about it? Are you, what is your priorities? What, what do you value most in life? Is it to seek the kingdom of God? Then they need to be seeking the kingdom of God. So what are the facts? Number four, what's going to be the outcome and cost if I do this? What are the possible outcomes? Now, you can't always know this, but at least consider it. 
So if I decide to get something where I really stretch myself, that means whether it's your home or whatever it is, that means I better get very comfortable at saying no to a lot of other things, which is okay. But you better recognize that. And don't, for heaven's sake, come back and blame it on God. God gave me a piece. No, you did bias confirmation. That's what you did. That's probably what you did. Aren't you glad you came today? Um, And then lastly, godly counsel. You know, James chapter 5 talks about this. Scripture talks it over and over. Talk with somebody who you respect and has wisdom. Solomon talks about this. And don't do the bias confirmation. Don't just, you know, I think I'll talk to David because he'll tell me what I want to hear. Or I think I'll talk to to Fred. He'll tell me what I want to hear. No, talk to somebody who might tell you what you don't want to hear. I remember I was going to buy a a car. We're going to buy a minivan for my wife and you know, if you don't know me well, you don't know this, but I'm, I'm a little bit cheap, okay? And uh, so we're going to buy her a car. Her, her van was, anyway, it was one of those things that was going to cost more than it could to repair. So I'm always thinking a good deal. So I found this 2013, had all the stuff on the minivan that she wanted, and it was like $15,000 cheaper than any other van. I mean, it was really inexpensive. And I got into it, I started talking to him, and come to find out he'd been struck by lightning. But the guy told me, look, it's fine. I changed out this part, and it's going to be fine. I, I, this is, I've seen this before. It's not a big deal. You'll be fine. So I'm just thinking, this is great, man. We're going to be able to pay cash for this. We're not going to have to worry about it. My wife has almost a new car. She's got all the stuff she wants on it, so I'm going to do this. My wife's going, how do we know there aren't other things? Honey, I'm telling you, this is a good deal. This is a good deal. It's going to save money. We'll have no car payment. This is a good deal. It's better. Look at what you've been driving. This will be a good deal. She goes, you know, have you talked to anybody about this? No? All right. And then we made an agreement there was a guy I was going to go talk to. So I went out and I sat down and talked to this guy. Matter of fact, he was one of, their, one of our elders. And, and um, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this car for my wife. It's pretty. She likes it. And it's great. And it's a great deal. Great, great deal. And, but, it's, uh, but it's been struck by lightning. But I, the God assures me that's not a big deal. It's going to be fine. He goes, uh, I don't think I would do that. He said, do you, do you realize that cars are electrical? And just because you did one part, he said, I'm telling you, it will cost you more than 10000 over life, that car, when those things start going out. So you are not making a wise financial decision. You know, I was doing okay until somebody had to go and give me the facts. You know what I mean? And so we didn't buy that car. But in my flesh, my heart is deceitful because I had a good idea and and I was trying to have a good outcome, but I was willing to ignore the facts and ignore the possible outcome. I needed godly counsel, and we're almost all like that because of that loss aversion spirit or that confirmation mind because it's what I really want and I will choose to ignore the facts. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Are you doing that? I want to challenge you. Tim, uh, Tim Keller said, God is so great that he works out a plan, a plan to work everything out for your good if you belong to him and his glory, which takes into consideration your choices and still works in his plan out infallibly. So how do I make wise decisions? Know God. Know your heart and know the wisdom process. I'll close with this, and I know I've shared this multiple times, but I think it's very pertinent. 
I was mentioning to you, I grew up in Louisiana. I had a horse named Frank. Frank was actually older than I was. He was born right there in those woods, in those swamps. He was about four or four or five years older than I was. And so uh, he knew those woods so well. And uh, I remember one time, and I, to be honest with you, I kind of made a game out of getting lost. I'd always try to see how far I could go and, and, um, and see if I could make it back. And one time, it was another time, I, I got lost, and I was probably 12 years old. And it was starting to get dark. I'm starting to get nervous. I know I can't go to the highways. I know I, I, I'm trying to follow the sun, but it's like the sun was moving, and I'm, I'm in the swamps, and it's hard to see, and <clears throat> I just can't get there. And I would... I would uh, let Frank go, and he, he would go the wrong direction, and I was just getting so frustrated. And finally, finally, I make it back. It's at night. My dad comes in. He goes, what, what happened to you? I said, well, I got lost. He goes, you were on Frank. How'd you get lost? I said, Dad, I, he said, why didn't you just give him the reins let me go? I said, Dad, I tried a couple times, but every time that I would try to trust Frank, he'd try to take me through a briar patch. And I didn't want to go that way. I mean, it was awful. Or he'd try to take me through one of those creek beds, through the creek itself. And I said, Daddy, he, he was just kind of going crazy. <laughs> he goes, no, son, that's because that's the way, that was the way home. You kept wanting the easy road. You were looking, uh, you'd gotten yourself lost, gotten yourself in the pickle, and you didn't want to go through the water. You didn't want to go through the briars, but that's what was necessary to get home. That was the path home. He knew the way to the correct path, but you kept guiding him another direction, hoping that you would make it. If you would have just trusted your horse, you would have been home hours ago. Hey, God has created a path for you. And there are highways on the sides that he does not want you on. And there's a direction he he wants you to head. And he wants you to just trust him step by step. And if you will follow him with your heart, soul, and mind, if you will pray and seek his heart, if you will define your decisions by your priority, look at the facts, count the costs, get godly counsel, then the Bible says that he will make your path straight. That literally means he will make your paths manageable. He will manage. He will clear out the things that you can't overcome, or he'll take you through a briar patch sometime, but it's the way home. He'll take you through a creek sometime, but it's the way home. Will you trust him? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the path that you've created for each of us. Lord, I pray that we would trust you with all of our hearts. We would recognize that you are the God of the universe and that you have given us Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to forgive us of our sins. Lord, help us not to lean on our own understanding, thinking, Lord, I'm good enough. I got this. I I, I can trust my heart. I know what to do. But submit and surrender and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. I cannot live this life apart from you. And Lord, I want to acknowledge you as my Savior and as my God as the one who lived the life I should have lived and died the death that I should have died, who gave himself and whose blood cleanses me and covers me. Lord, I want to be in relationship with you. God, save me. Lord, I commit to live in wisdom and not in foolishness. Lord, I I commit to choose your path. Though I may stray, though I may fall, though I may stumble, Lord, I want to walk the path of righteousness as you lead me as your word directs me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.